Welcome to the People First Leaders Podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder CEO of ExpenseReviews.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about 20 minutes. Let's go. All right, we have Rob Buffington with us today from Gordian Staffing. And what we are going to be talking about is instilling an owner mentality into employees, which sounds simple, but in actuality can be a little more tricky than you might think, because generally speaking, the people who have an owner mentality are owners. And if somebody's being paid by the hour, it can be a little harder to get that mindset shift in place. But that's what we're going to talk about. So Rob, please introduce yourself and uh, let's get the conversation started. Thanks for having me, Doug. My name is Rob Buffington. I'm the founder and the CEO of Gordian Business Solutions. Gordian Staffing is a division of that. We work with small and medium businesses to get through life's problems. When you're a small business and you're just getting started, you usually fly under the radar. And then by the time you're on the Fortune 500, you have in-house counsel and in-house HR and all that. But there's a whole bunch of turbulence in between when you're too big to fly into the radar and too small to have it all figured out. So we help companies navigate that. Got it. Okay. Well, so now what are some of the things you've seen on the uh, kind of ownership mentality front? Because that idea was re got really big in the 90s, and that was theoretically what gap that stock options were supposed to close. I don't think that it worked out quite as well as people assumed, but then I think it's kind of come back. And so what have been your observations since, since you're in the staffing industry, you very clearly had a, a lot of time to swing the bat, so to speak? So the first thing I would say is that it's going to vary from person to person, which <laughs> is probably the worst answer in the world to that question. I'll give you a couple of examples, but the first answer is there is no answer. Everybody wants something different. Everybody's going to react to something different. What motivates one person is going to piss off another. All right. Well, okay. So much for the easy answer section. Okay, well, so then in that case, where I feel like we're, we're going with this, which I think is the right direction, is that there's not like a paint-by-numbers or a biscuit and a 30-minute uh, biscuit formula for creating an ownership mentality. So in that case, what it really turns into is a little more of a journey than a formula, which makes sense. So how do you go about going down that journey? What does that look like for the people who've done it successfully? First, I would preface and say, I'm not sure if I've done it successfully. <laughs> I've tried it. I've made mistakes. I hope I've learned from them. Take everything I say with a giant grain of salt. But based on my individual experience, the one thing I can say that has been universal in doing this is it takes time. And what I mean by that is it takes ongoing communication and relationships with these people whether they're your N plus one, N minus ones, or your frontline people, or what have you, you need to spend ongoing time with them, not just a quick five minute coffee session. You need to spend hours and hours and break through the facade to get to the real them and let them feel comfortable that they know who you are. Now, more than ever, we can smell a phony. And so, if you go out there and try to be the friendly boss or be the put on the politician, it's not going to work. So the first thing you have to do is kind of open yourself up, spend that time with them, and then hope they get open in return. Share with them where the company is going, why you found it or bought, or why the company exists. 
Because nowadays, more than ever, this generation wants to know the why. And for all the talk about millennials and how difficult they can be to work with and how different they are, I think is a better way to say it. They will be your biggest brand ambassadors if you learn how to convince them to get behind your company. And I like that you brought up millennials because now Gen Z is coming up too. And I know I'm a Gen Xer. And I think there's a tendency for the, you know, the, the extras and boomers to be like, oh, those darn millennials, you know, yeah. don't want to work like we did back in the old days. And well, you know, while it can be tempting to kind of jump on that bandwagon, one of the things that I keep thinking is I'm like, us extras and boomers, we did not end up with the greatest of mental health. You know, <laughs> did it has it ever occurred to anybody that maybe the way that we <laughs> that, that things used to be done isn't the right way to do things? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure the silent generation said the same thing about the boomers and the Gen X. Every generation goes through a radical redefinition. I mean, look at the culture wars of the 60s. Every generation is drastically different, and it's important not to say good or bad, just say different. Different motivations, different outputs. So, for example, I'm on the edge of millennial versus Gen X. Okay. I Xennial is what they say. Xennial, yeah. I grew up without a cell phone. I grew up hearing, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket for the rest of your life. And it's like, oh, really, Mr. Shear? Because I have one right <laughs> So this generation was raised with the sum total of human knowledge available in their pocket. And so the focus on them needs to be away from learning and into deductive reasoning, research, critical thinking to weigh different facts, because the difficulty they have is too much information. Whereas for us, it was not enough. Well, and I would augment what you're saying. And I would say the discipline to avoid distractions, because if you could just have it, that one thing is the gateway to everything else. Because exactly, because it's like you said, the panoply of world information is in my pocket and I use my phone to watch cat videos. Again, guilty. And we can't Dog videos too, but mostly cat all. videos. Yeah. And so it's, it is a different mental process. You know, for us, it was like, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, and we had to remember that. And I haven't used it in the last 30 years, but I remember it. Whereas this generation is about indexing knowledge and going out and accessing, like, here's a question that nobody knows, go find a new solution, which makes them incredibly powerful, but also a completely different way of, of dealing. Got it. That makes sense. Okay, well, so then kind of going down that road... Talk me through some of the things that you've seen as far as kind of the ways to draw that out, because at least the way that I think about really creating a connection or engagement with people who work for you, it's not materially different than making a sale to a potential client. You're just selling something different because it's like there's almost nobody who buys something solely because of what it is or what it does. Usually they buy it based on the relationship they have with the person that's selling it to them in a lot of cases, not all, but most. And so what that really comes down to is finding that point of connection. And so then presumably, well, not presumably, I'm just being modest. Uh, absolutely, the faster you can get to that point of connection, the more likely it will be that you can figure out what really motivates that person. Tell me about some of what you've seen that are some of the best ways to get to that point of connection more rapidly. With this generation, with millennials and going into Gen Z, the irony is remote work, I, I mean, obviously that's my space and it's a topic that comes up a lot. Well, that's relevant, so we can skew in that direction if we'd like, because I mean, how can you talk about connection without talking about the fact that we have to connect through a video screen? 
Well, and that's one of the funny things is now as people have had three years of flexibility, they're wanting to come back to the office, but not full time. And so when people ask me, what do new people want? Like, do they want to work from home? And I go, no. Oh, do they want to work in the office? No. So what do they want? Do they want not to work? No. They want to choose. They want control. They want autonomy. The cubicles of the 1950s and the 9 to 5 and the 50 years and the gold watch is dead. Good or bad, we've moved I on. I spent the first 18 years of my career at Intel. I can tell you for a fact, cubicles have lived long since the 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the mentality of just plug and play people that worked in this giant hierarchy and were happy as a cog in the machine, that, that's not going to do it for this generation. What they want is they want the autonomy. They want to feel like they have some control over things. They want input. They want... You mentioned stock options earlier, not so much stock options, but they want to say, they want to say in values and direction and all of that. And the truth of it is the people in the front lines often have some of the best information because they're dealing with the customers, they're getting feedback, they're on the ground. I still love to make sales, even though the company is quite a bit larger, because I'm always getting new information about what people like and what people don't like. And the product is always in. So we're going to see that in this generation more than ever. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'd like to kind of dig down the rabbit hole even a little further because you were talking about input on the company values. And I think that resonates because a lot of the people I've spoken with who are from the younger generations, it's really front of mind to them what their company stands for. And so how do you think you hold that space, particularly, you know, say you're either an exec or you're a, you know, founder slash CEO of one of these startups, you don't have a lot of people, you don't have a ton to spend on labor. So you're probably going, you're know, skewing toward the more junior end of the experience curve. And of course, that, that will involve a lot of your uh, millennials and uh, Gen Z folks who are going to be, you know, more focused on kind of company values, company direction. Now, as the founder, you can't necessarily pivot based on what every employee thinks or feels, but you have to hold that space. Otherwise, you're going to have big problems with retention. What have you seen that is that has been, I would say, either most successful or least damaging in this case, which is just different sides of the coin? <laughs> it's a funny thing because, again, 1950s, 60s, 70s, companies were supposed to be Switzerland. They did not take sides. They did not have corporate values. They, you know, unless you count those motivational posters, but they didn't take part in social issues. Yeah. Nowadays, people want companies to take a side. And the funny thing is more and more people will respect a company with different values that is genuine and acts on those values than somebody that vacillates. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, Target in the news this week is getting hammered because they're playing both sides. The same thing happened a few months ago with uh, Coors, Bud Light. Bud Light, yeah. Yeah. So you ask about how to go about that. And no, you can't listen to the employees and pivot because number one, that's not genuine. If you're a founder, if you're an executive, you have to decide what the values are and build your company around that. You can't go based on what's popular. But the funny thing is once you establish those values, you will attract the kind of people that want to work at that company. So you have to start internally with what is my value as a person and then build a company around. Yeah, I think that's a really important insight. And I'll just riff on that a little bit because I think a lot of people will think, hey, I don't want to constrain my potential customer market. 
you know, however, let's just talk about like, say, continental United States, you know, your 48 states, about 350 million people or so. Roughly half of them-ish are right of center and roughly mm -hmm. half of them-ish are left of center. That's why so, it's the center. Yeah, that's why it's the center. And so whichever way you naturally lean, I can only assume that you're going to be embracing the admirable aspects of your particular value set and probably you're trying to stay away from the more unseemly ones. If you're left of center progressive, you're probably going to be focused on you know justice, equity, presentation, fairness, things like that. If you're right of center, you'll probably be taught, you'll be thinking more in terms of your work ethic, your values, so making sure that people have opportunity, that there is you know the chance for people to be their best person. Neither of those are bad. There's none of those that are bad. But you know there always seem to be unintended consequences that come from the pursuit of one set of values. And this has been one of the things that I've had to figure out for myself is that you shouldn't be worried about alienating some people because if you get to where people know who you are and you stand for anything at all, there will be people who don't like what you stand for. And that's perfectly fine. The mark of being influential is having haters. If you don't have any haters, that means nobody cares who you are. The second you open your mouth, 40% of the people minimum are going to hate you. Yes. Yeah. Try to please everybody and you'll be the most popular dead man in town. It's just, you can't yes. do it. Exactly. I mean, and, so and more than that, it's dishonest. And I, I tend to believe that people who try to fake it, which, you know, let's be honest, we all fake it just a little bit, but people who try to virtue signal and try to line up with one side or the other, there's an insincerity that comes across. And I think people know that. Whereas if you build a company based on your values, and as you said, there's positive on both sides. It's not a good and bad. It's just different priorities. You find what fits with your values and your company will be stronger as a result. But well, and I mean, because so, and I would say exactly, you know, because, you know, I grew up very traditional conservative. And of course, all this trad cons are like, no, it's about hard work, earning your way, all that kind of stuff. But and of course, you know, I've met plenty of people who were rather progressive that worked plenty hard. And I'm like, well, wait a second. It's not just my people who are hard workers. And, you know, I think when that light bulb goes off, that, that's where you kind of say, oh, wait, the us against them is not as real as a lot of people would want you to think. I find most people, you take a random person anywhere on the planet, we're going to agree about 95% of the issues. Yes. We just tend to be loudest about the few. You know, we all love our children. We all want better lives for them. We all want to succeed, be happy, fulfilled. But we focus on the two things that we were going to fight about. That's why I say find the values that matter to you. That's the path to success. And that's how you get people engaged because they want to believe in something. What's the old cliche? If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. Something like yeah. that. Or I think, well, the country song was you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. There you go. That's probably what it is. Yep. I have no idea whether that's the, the kitchen table wisdom or, or not, but that was the 90s country song. So... All right. So then now I think we're going down the values path and well, actually let me pivot a little bit. Is there something I should have asked you, but didn't, is there a question that, that we've left on the table that you feel we've left on the table? Well, we didn't talk about how you do this with remote employees, with people that you see once a quarter or things like that. All right. Let's open up that can. So we're talking about how do we do this with remote employees? Because I think as we alluded to earlier in our conversation, this is real and it's not going away. The world 2019 is not coming back. I think there may be some places that, well, I mean, there's some places that, that are doing all day in the office. That's mostly flat line. But if you're talking information work, 
you're probably going to be at least 50% remote foreseeable future. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the answer is not so different from people that are in the office, but you have to make more of an effort out of it. So for example, you and I, we're on a call right now. We can see each other. We can kind of read body language, but only the top third. There's other cues that we're going to miss out on. So there's not going to be that subtle picking up. You know, we can mute ourselves. We can turn our camera off. So you have to work harder at it. One of the simplest tricks I found, but it's been the most productive, instead of having saying, let me know if you have any questions, say, what do you think? What questions do you have? Give me your feedback. Earlier today, I was talking to one of my reports and I said, listen, this, this is not a decision. This is a discussion. I want to hear. Tell me what you think. Give me your feedback, good and bad. And you just have to work a little harder at it. You have to ask direct questions. I always require people to be camera on in meetings. It's too easy to zone out otherwise. And just schedule the time. Every one of my direct reports, I meet with at least every other week for a one-on-one -on -one session. And we just go through the numbers. We go through what's going on. Yeah, you just have to work at it. I think you just have to put the time in and Zoom as your friend. And keep in mind, you can meet them on an annual basis or a quarterly basis. We have employees in six states and two other countries. And we just flew all of our leadership team to Cancun for our uh, leadership retreat. And we spent three days nonstop. It was exhausting, but it was great because we walked out understanding each other. So That's keep in mind, yeah, sounds like a Tony Robbins seminar almost. Yeah, it was intense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, no, that was that was all I was saying. It's just. You can have regular conferences or Christmas parties or whatever you want. Every year we have an epic Christmas party outside of our Guadalajara office. We had over 200 people last year. There's just because somebody is working remote doesn't mean you can't say once a quarter, I want everybody in the corporate office and we'll pay for the, the travel costs because that's probably cheaper than paying for the office space all year round or the salary differences or fill in the blank. So you got to be a little bit more creative. The answers are out there. You just got to work a little harder at it. I think there's one of the things you hit on, which is to really, when you're figuring out what this program is going to cost, think about it holistically. Because on the one hand, you'll say, okay, kind of my, my base model is I have office space in every location where I have employees, which means you, you'll have a fixed cost associated with that. On model B, you would say at a certain number of intervals throughout the year, say probably somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five times. You're going to incur this expense to get either part or all of your people in the same place, at which point you will have to temporarily procure uh, space for everybody and you'll have to pay the travel costs. But most likely that is going to be less than having office space in all of your different locations. And like one of the things that uh, at least that, that I observed, like for example, in my career at Intel was Intel had office space all over the place, but whenever their budgets got stretched, they said, nobody travel anywhere. So you know, all of our team, you know, but like my team, I think I had two in Oregon, two in Santa Clara. No, I had three in Oregon, two in Santa Clara, two in Arizona, one in Costa Rica, and then three in Malaysia. So meetings all the time anyway. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, can I just do these remote meetings from my house? And then like once every quarter or two, like actually get everybody together. <laughs> instead of driving into an office, doing a video call for every meeting. Yeah, and the other added cost savings is that with a wider talent pool, you can go to less expensive areas or near shore and hire people at a much lower cost of labor while they live at a better standard. Yeah, correct. 
Absolutely. Yes. All right, Rob, this has been a really great conversation. Can you give us one or two last thoughts and then let everybody know where they can learn more? You know, kind of uh, let us know where your favorite social channels are and uh, you know, how to get a hold of you, obviously. And then shout out your website and we'll make sure to put it in the show notes as well. Sure. You guys can find me on LinkedIn, Rob Buffington. You can check us out online at slicingthegordianknot.com. And for closing thoughts, I would just say it's an ongoing process. You got to be willing to put the work in. You got to be willing to get a little uncomfortable, be a little confrontational with people in a good way, and just make sure you're chipping through the facade to get to the real person underneath. Got it. Hey, Rob, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the People First Leaders podcast. If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest, please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time, so make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.